Welcome back to this week's episode of Rising Giants with your hosts, Max Thornton and Dom Kalusik. On the episode, we have financial management and investment specialist, Julita Sue talk to us about her journey and dive deep into the growing startup ecosystem in Cambodia. In this short but very engaging conversation, we cover a variety of topics related to Cambodian startups, such as financial management, preparing for investment readiness, criteria investors use when screening investment opportunities, and her overall perspective on which sectors she's most excited about over the next couple years. We hope you enjoy the show. Jolita, thank you so much for coming on to Rising Giants with us today. Uh, we are very excited to speak to you, and we are excited to also dive a little bit into your background, which I think will be a great place to start. Could you talk us through a little bit about how you got to where you are today? Uh, first of all, thank you very much for having me. Um, it's great to be uh, talking um, for this podcast. And um, I think so for, for the first question is through, I think through a lot of grind work um, in order to build credibility for myself um, in the finance sector and to also become someone who can affect change. Uh, for me, it's about being able to achieve something with, with my own efforts from uh, from the start, from, from the studies, uh, trying to prove that I'm capable of supporting my own studies uh, through scholarships since high school up until the US Fulbright Scholarship for my master's degree and through working multiple jobs, both local and abroad. Then I worked my way up within two or three years from an analyst in an investment firm to a specialist in financial management and investment for uh, recognized international financial institutions, all the while managing project inspiring my own youth organization. So um, in short, um, it's all about hard work and, and, and good focus on uh, what I want to do. Thank you for that. And just to take a step back, what was your interest in applying for the Fulbright Scholarship and what kind of opportunities do you think the program provides for young professionals? At that time, I graduated from, from college. I worked for uh, a few years in the education sector and then another two years um, in the public sector. And I was aiming for higher impact in my career through higher education. And Fulbright is a wonderful program for uh, pursuing higher education in the States. It provides like not only financial support, but also opportunities to show our potentials and network with amazing people and institutions. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be part of Fulbright and I'm, I'm proud of, uh, of uh, this opportunity. And you mentioned about hard work and starting Project Inspire in 2016. Can you talk to us what it was like founding Project Inspire and where the influence to create this company came from? Yeah, at, at the time, we saw the potentials of Cambodian people around 2015, 2016. And that's when I traveled a lot to, to uh, countries in Europe and in Africa and um, a few countries in Asia. And, and I saw the young people's potential out there. And when I look back to Cambodian young people, I see the same potentials and, and the ability to do greater things. But there was a lack of opportunities to, for them to intern, to volunteer, to get trained, just for them to be ready for the job market. So 
um, we created Project Inspire um, in order to allow young people to have those opportunities. So we allowed young people to carry out initiatives through Project Inspire. We conducted conferences and workshops. We also produced digital content. And we provided training on soft skills to young people, to startups, and to business owners. And since 2016, which was uh, when we founded, we right now have provided volunteering opportunities to more than 230 people. We reached thousands of people through our programs. And I'm really proud that young people who engaged with uh, the project through uh, PI could get you know, great opportunities after volunteering. Some of them get scholarship to study abroad. Some of them are you know, in a promising career and some of them actually have also initiated their own projects. So um, this is where we are and we have uh, big plans uh, for the coming years. Yeah, did you think that it was going to become what it is today, the kind of success that you've had? And I'm just curious. I always have big plans, um, kind of thinking towards future direction, but um, never thought that it could be kind of this kind of form or image. And uh, it's not just my work. It's, uh, you know, a, a large portion of it is uh, the people who have taken part in Project Inspire, my co-founders and the network that we built. So this is, for me, this is something that I am passionate about and something that I'm committed to um, for myself to give back to society. Like I, um, I am where I am today because of, you know, the people around me, the community and the society that I'm in. So this is how I want to give back. I completely understood on that and you know, working with MSP in your in your early on in your career, focusing on the investment space during 2017. What was the startup ecosystem in Cambodia like at that time compared to maybe what it is like today? Yeah, it's a fun question. Um, 2017 was a time when entrepreneurship, startups, tech, and all these terms are buzzwords. Um, I think it started since 2016, 2017, right? And the stakeholders in the startup ecosystem were becoming active. Uh, there were many startup activities, investment deals, and support programs uh, by both the private and the public sector. Um, but throughout the years, especially 2019 to 2021, I've seen it slow down quite a bit um, in the last few years. I think mainly because of COVID, where consumer demand changed drastically. Some startups quit or suspended operations, and fundings were also retargeted for business survival. Right now, I see the hype coming back slowly, and I'm pretty positive that in the next few years, we're going to see new leading phases of startups. Uh, we're going to see more investment deals and a few big exits. Yeah, it's very exciting. And especially the booming of the digital 4.0 revolution that's going on in right. Cambodia. And uh, especially with tourism making a bounce back too, it'll be very interesting to see what startups, especially going back to the digital side, um, are going to be coming out on top in the next couple of years. And uh, overall, though, it's just very exciting for all sectors to see what, what companies will be built. Mm. And you mentioned 
that you are playing a role as being more of a supporter and advisor within the startup ecosystem in Cambodia. Can you talk to us about in what ways you're doing so? Yes, um, gladly. Um, before, a few years ago, I, I played uh, a role more in the spotlight as in uh, uh, taking part in deals, um, going out, uh, as judges, trainers, speakers, right? But um, as my career grew, as part of my profession, I'm currently helping crafting and executing programs for corporates, investors, and government agencies, including accelerator programs, investment programs, and entrepreneurship support programs. I think to me, it's very joyful and rewarding by taking a step back from the spotlight to work with people who really make decisions and have a say. And also by playing a supervising role in the implementation of those programs. Um, so this is where I am today. And I'm, I'm glad, to, I'm glad to, to be kind of a, a small part in the ecosystem, supporting the ecosystem. That kind of leads me to my next question as well, as you were helping build uh, a lot of these different programs or working directly with startups. Uh, from your perspective, when helping prepare a company for investment, what are some of the key criteria that you look for that indicate a company would be investment ready or maybe on the other side, what do you suggest to companies to help them prepare to become investment ready? Yes, definitely. This is a very important question for startups. And I've heard a lot of startups talking about uh, these, these kinds of criteria. I've, I've, you know, a lot of startups come up to me and, and ask me about, about these questions. We kind of compare it against several criteria, including team, business model and viability, scaling and profitability, market and competition, um, investment structure, and last but not least, risk assessment, because some business may have a great team, good business model, but, you know, have a lot of risk or are still in the gray area within the legal requirements. But for the most important criteria for me is the team, mainly the quality of the co-founders who will drive the company. That's really important for me. But as a general suggestion uh, for the startups to know is that before you look for investment, it is important for startups to be able to justify why they need the investment. For example, how much would they need? What expense items will it be used for? And for what purpose, et cetera. And this links to kind of the startup direction and strategies. Like if you don't have a good direction and a uh, well-targeted uh, strategies, then you don't have a good answer to why you would need the investment, how much you would need the investment for. Just to sum up, for a company to be investment ready, look at all the criteria that investors look for and justify why you need the investment and how much and what for. Yeah, and couldn't agree more there. I mean, especially the two major aspects of what type of funding and then your use of funds just to kind of give like a very high level, um, just a high level foundation of it. A lot of times 
you know, startups, especially in an early stage, they may think to themselves, oh, I need to raise, you know, a hundred thousand dollars, but maybe not fully understand, you know, how do you break that out? Right. What do you need it for your operational expenses? Do you need it for, you know, your, your cogs? What, what is it that you need in order to make the business run? And what is the type of funding that you truly need? I mean, equity is kind of this, you know, this very attractive sound, but maybe it's not the right direction. Maybe you need to understand, okay, with a little bit of debt financing that can go a lot farther for, your business and it can go a lot farther in terms of, you know, if your company is going to be successful, not giving up ownership stake in it at such an early stage too. So it's a lot of things that, um, especially around just that kind of education that, that is important too. Um, yes, I, I do agree. And if I can add, you know, startups usually come up to investors and say, I need this amount of money but then they couldn't justify, they couldn't you know, give a more detailed answer as to what will they use it for? Um, what is it gonna be for? Um, how much would they actually need? So I don't want, if your listeners are startups, I, I do not want startups to, to, to kind of like have a set amount of number in mind. You know, If you look at top-down approach, what are your strategies, business directions in the next say three to five years, and then narrow it down, kind of go down a little further. If you want to achieve that strategy, what are the activities you need to work on? And then within that activities, what are the spending? So that's kind of top-down approach. If you want to do bottom-up, like look at all the activities you're doing, and then how is it going to support or feed to your strategies and directions? And, And think of it, calculate how much you need based on that kind of strategies and direction. And then justify, is it really important for you right now to raise this amount of money? Because I've seen startups wanting to raise money, but they actually don't have to. And it's very risky to to invite a third party or investors to be in your business uh, when you can actually drive the business yourself at that time. Um, You know, and I... I think the best time for startups to raise money is when they are ready for growth and they want to grow fast and they are not able to kind of afford the growth and they need additional money rather than like, I need money right now just because I need the money. Right. And it's a very concise way to put it as well in terms of thinking about the the strategy aspect of it too. And you did mention about projections and, you know, taking a look at early stage companies in Cambodia and thinking about, you know, financial management and projections and maybe in, in that aspect. Could you talk to us about, you know, given the current ecosystem, what is your view on the importance of financial management of a startup in Cambodia and how can companies improve upon this aspect? Um, or where do you think there could be room for improvement? I, you know, I am a kind of finance person, so I might be biased um, to kind of anything related to finance, but definitely financial management is crucial for startups. Uh, Some startups spend unknowingly and eventually find themselves having money issues. Some startups have issues with unreliable financial statements, which hinder them from getting proper investment or financing. And uh, they can improve this aspect by you know, self-learning online and offline, there are a lot of 
uh, resources out there that they can look for. But um, the most important way is to connect themselves with such professionals for advice and support, those with local knowledge, those with startups should dare to talk to people, connect with people, especially the right people. Um, and once you go out, you know, one foot out the door, you do realize that a lot of people are easy to talk to. So again, I mean, you can learn through resources online, offline, but it's important to get acquainted with people with such knowledge to kind of help you improve the company. And building on from that, what do you think the number one challenge is for a startup in Cambodia? That's, actually, I don't have the best answer for it just because um, I've seen a lot of challenges that startups experience, but I can raise two important issues right now for a Cambodian market. First one is human resources, especially the IT related human resources or those who are skilled in the digital uh, kind of tech solutions. Um, just because right now, Cambodian workforce is building ourselves up for those skills. So there's still a lack of uh, skilled people in the IT sector out there. But again, this is the issues everywhere in the world. Um, the second is uh, there's lack of financial knowledge. Um, they may know how to operate. They may know how to hire people. Um, they may know how to you know, find customers, do marketing. But when it comes to keeping good financial management is something that I see that most startups lack. You mentioned a little bit about the uh, the hype that's growing um, over the last few years, and it might be coming back. What do you think some of the main drivers are of that? Is it because you know the business environment overall is better because of COVID, or are there, are there some other factors at place as well? Uh, I think there are two factors. Uh, the first one, you're right, um, which is the um, kind of environmental factor, uh, Max, and then um, the second one, I think, is the kind of intrinsic internal factor. Because startups that are able to survive throughout COVID, um, I think have uh, I think have the uh, kind of flexibility, the agility, the um, the survival uh, kind of survival strategy. So they're able to adapt to the new normal, um, and that's where those startups are able to gain back a lot of customers uh, and are able to kind of get market share. Okay, and you mentioned about some of the investors um, in Cambodia. What do you believe um, is the current sentiment of, of these of these investors, and if you see that that picking up, and where that where that is coming from, whether it's venture capital uh, or angel yeah. investors or any others? You know, uh, although investors are more risk averse during COVID, uh, which is of course um, everywhere in the world, and uh, it's very logical and reasonable to be risk averse during COVID, just because things are uncontrollable, things are unexpected. But I've seen investment deals during this time, um, not because uh, of anything else besides there's confidence in the business and there's confidence in the future. So although, again, although investors are risk averse, um, they still do deals uh, where they see the business potential and the future um, where it's heading. 
Okay, and w- within the um, the spectrum of deals, from like you know the first check to up to like you know a private equity deal, where do you believe the access to capital is the most limited? Like, what what ticket size is it the hardest to raise for in the market? That's that's a great question. It's also challenging for me to answer because um, I think in order to talk about access to funding, it's important to touch on both sides, the demand side and the supply side, right? Um, my assessment is that for grants, there are grants available for startups, um, but the disadvantage is that it's mainly for working capital. It can only support the startups uh, short term. But for the investment funds that are available to support startups from angels, uh, venture capital to private equity and funds from corporate investors, there are certain criteria in which many startups that are in need of funding are not yet qualified for. So I'd like to say that there's a mismatch when it comes to access to funding. Like there's money, imagine there's, there's money available in the air but then startups are still uh, are not able to reach that yet just because there are set criteria that they're not yet qualified for. And you also mentioned about, um, you know, you've seen some deals being done. What sectors do you think are um, crowded and what sectors do you think are maybe being a bit overlooked in the market? Right now in a startup space, um, the most crowded is, of course, the delivery space, transportation. Um, and those related to kind of platforms where uh, the consume, consumer demands for everyday products, right? But there are a few business sectors um, that are underdeveloped, right? But um, my, my answer would be just rather something I've seen less of and something that I'm passionate about, <laughs> which are health and environment sectors, especially health, um, meaning healthier food options, like platform to provide healthier food options, lactose-free, gluten-free, you know, or um, uh, food options that are organic. And on the environment side, um, meaning environmentally friendly, everyday use products, right? Um, I feel that these two are underdeveloped, um, mainly because of uh, there are limited products and services available in those areas. And also the consumer demands or uh, the consu- consumer demands are limited because maybe I think there needs to be some consumer education along the way. And lastly, on this, uh, on these kind of broader questions about Cambodia, to what extent do you think um, Cambodia is the most high potential market in Southeast Asia? I think we're already the heart of ASEAN for our strategic geographic location. But I think we're on on a good track to becoming the heart of Asia. We're building commercial ports. We're developing the kind of internet communication. Um, We are training our skilled labor force. Uh, We are doing a lot of things, multifaceted um, approach. So I'm very hopeful and I believe that Cambodia will be the heart of ASEAN and will be you know, the strategic partners of uh, the countries in Asia and, and other countries around the world. Thank you for providing that feedback. Just moving on to our last section of the podcast, I want to a little bit talk about uh, some of the habits and advice that you may have for our audience 
and other um, sort of aspiring uh, financial professionals, entrepreneurs. Um, what habits do you install in yourself on like a day-to-day basis to keep yourself self-accountable and motivated in, in everything that you're pursuing? I might be repeating myself, but the mantra is this, love yourself. Nobody loves you more than yourself. You're the one who is responsible for yourself, not others. So everything is yourself. Um, and that kind of keeps me going just because if you screw up, that's your life that you're responsible for. Um, and you don't expect uh, people to you know, support you. Um, just be independent, be strong for yourself because you are the one who is responsible for success and failure in your life. So that kind of keeps me accountable and motivated. And are there any like um, uh, new sort of behaviors or habits that you've kind of installed in yourself in the last few years? Like whether that's like a morning routine or just any, any other, any, any specifics on that, for example? Uh, throughout the years, I've learned to not complicate things or think too much. Um, I, I think human, human being tends to complicate things or think too much. Like if I decide to do something, I'll do it. I take people's criticism and feedback, but I don't lose sleep over it. Because, you know, growing up, we've, we've had insecurity. We've, you know, growing up, it's, it's part of growing up. But um, throughout the years, it's, it's all about kind of keeping your mind at peace, um, deciding to do something based on a lot of consideration and not complicate things. Um, so that's kind of something that I've developed and uh, to improve my life. But specifically, I like to do a little bit of meditation um, every one or two weeks. Now, I should do that more often, but um, it helps a lot in kind of resetting my mind. It's easy, you know, just close your eyes and think about just one, two or three things. Let's say three things, three maximum things that you want happen. You can think of anything, any wish, just focus on these for one hour. Um, it, it can help a lot. Yeah, that's yeah. something that a lot of our guests have, um, have, have talked about, really just, you know, having that time to just be quiet and um, reflect uh, and just kind of sort of pause um, yeah. in life. Um, so, yeah, that's something that, that comes up very common. Actually, Max, I think, I think my, my session is kind of different because it doesn't focus on peace of mind. I, I think more of like focusing on what, what you want. Um, I don't know, maybe other guests have, have done it the same way, but it's more like spending four to five minutes to, to an hour, just thinking about one to three things that you want happen for example um i want to get this project so bad like i really want to get this project i want them to give that project to me or um i want to buy this house or something that you want happen and just repeating repeating what you want for 45 minutes to an hour and for me you know at first when i tried this um i don't see a lot of effect right but throughout multiple tries it helps a lot in just preparing your mind for that to happen and as a byproduct you think about ways to make it happen so I don't know I I don't know if I should call it meditation <laughs> it's more like 
determination session or something like that. Manifesting as we call it. I, I do the, yeah, I know it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because that's something that I do as well. Um, oh, but great. it's may, maybe not necessarily like verbally, but I do have a journal that I like to write in and something like that is I, I pretty much write down just a, a list of a couple things to accomplish, not necessarily like a task list, but just life things that I would like to accomplish. And, you know, you find yourself slowly, but surely working towards those as you see them and write them and think about them every single day. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like internal confidence building, something like that. Yeah. Agreed. I know we're cutting, coming up on time here, but we have two more questions to ask you quickly. So maybe just a quick fire round. Mm -hmm. The first is, what is the most formative book that you have ever read? I really like books that are written by investigative journalists, such as Bad Blood and Billion Dollar Whale. Just amazing, amazing book. Like very formative and just, just amazing investigative detective kind of nature, finding out the truth and like reflecting uh, from it. So, yeah. Same here as well. Those are very interesting. It's kind of seeing between the leaves and figuring out what's really behind the bush sort of ideas. It's it's very fascinating. And the last question that we ask each of our guests, it's our traditional closing question is, what is the most important piece of advice that you've ever been given? Sleep is crucial. Get enough sleep. <laughs> That is so true. It's, it's actually coming up here on, on midnight on my end over on the East Coast of the US. So that's that's in the oh. back of my mind as well. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you can work so hard in your life, but if you don't have enough sleep, you're not going to be able to work as productively as you wish to. Mm -hmm. Yep, that is that is the truth. And not only that, just uh, food is very important, I would like to add. So <laughs> yeah, so if I, if I can ask you, if you're super hungry and super sleepy at the same time, what are you going to do? Food first or sleep first? Oh, I'm going to find myself a comfort meal and a nice blanket and a very comfortable spot on the couch. So <laughs> <laughs> knock both those out at the same time. <laughs> well, uh, Jalita, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to come on to Rising Giants with us this week. We had a fantastic time speaking with you and look forward to seeing all the things that you will accomplish in, in the next coming year. So thank you. Thank you very much. And all the best to uh, Rising Giants podcast and Dom and Max, great work and all the best wishes for you.